you don't need to be in it. And this blame that we have, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't serve anything. It doesn't go anywhere. You can sit there and blame someone for six months while you're still with them, but what are you still doing with them? Hi guys, Anna. Welcome back to the Rachel J podcast. We're talking all things wellness and the lifestyle to help you do life better. I'm your host, Rachel J. It's been so great seeing everyone enjoying the recent episodes. Again, thank you for tuning in and listening. Now, I know some of you have been listening to the podcast for a while, but you may not be subscribed. So if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button. It makes such a difference. It will help us grow the podcast for you so we can have more amazing conversations with our inspiring guests. This week, I'm very excited to be sitting down with international best-selling author of the books, The Modern Breakup, Who Says You Can't, You Do, and his most recent release, Thoughts and Feelings. Welcome to the show, Daniel Chidiak. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show because you've become sort of like a go-to for dating and relationships and life, especially for women, um, because of your books. And um, before we get stuck into all the nitty-gritty and delve into it all, I just want to know what's been your worst dating experience? (laughs) <laughs> I think uh, I went on a date with someone who was a friend of a friend. Right. So I thought it would be okay. Yeah. Um, she was a little bit older than me. I thought, what the hell, I'm going to go. She was a writer as well. And uh, halfway through the date, she was drinking 10 times more than me, like literally, and that's okay, but sculling beers. Wow. I'd go to the toilet and come <laughs> back and be like, you finished? And then uh, I started getting attacked about my career. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think she was uh, a little bit negative about her career as far as a writer. She'd never published anything. Right. But, you know, um, that was a pretty bad one. Fun day. I politely asked if she would uh, like a lift home. <laughs> she said no. And I said, well, I'm leaving. Well, gentlemanly <laughs> so, of you at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still offered to give her a lift home, but yeah. I was out of there like, no, it's yeah, right. wow. yeah, I don't know. She's a sour, real wow. sour towards life. But, you know, maybe she was just going through a phase. Who knows? I mean, yeah, I feel yeah. like I feel like the de- there's so many stories like that. To be honest, I feel like I've heard a lot of uh, crazy dating stories. We're going to get in that into that in in a little bit, but I uh, I wanted to start here. I've had so many guests on the podcast, and we're now in the fifth season. And one thing that everyone has in common uh, is that they've had this moment in their life that has changed everything for them. And you could call it a dark night of the soul moment. You call it when shit hits the fan. Mm. But there's one moment that usually stands out that is a pivotal part of our journey. And I'm sure everyone that's listening can think of a moment, think of that moment for themselves, right? But what was that moment for you and what did that look like for you? I would say there's been a few pivotal moments in my life, but the first one was probably after I left uni and I started a clothing business with my brother and that went under. Mm. And I think we were in about $70,000 worth of debt and I was 22 years old. So not a great start to life. And I was experimenting with different substances. I was partying a lot, you know, as you're young. You take drugs, you drink alcohol. You, um, I think you suffocate your problems with things that are not healthy for you, mm-hmm. right? And I went out one night and this ended up being a, a two-day party and I came home one day and I crashed so bad. Like I was literally on my floor, didn't know what I wanted to do in my life, had a $70,000 debt, had left uni um, and in that moment I feel like I was awakened and enlightened and I just started appreciating everything that I had in my life. It was like when I feel like you come to the end of the road um, 
and there's a roadblock, there's nowhere else for you to go other than find a way. Mm. You have to find a way through that wall. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I remember going through it and waking up the next morning and just noticing things that I'd never noticed, like flowers or birds or things that were just, you know, in my subconscious and I didn't even worry about them. And now I started to appreciate them all. And it was so weird that I had to get to that rock bottom mm. in order to really wake up and realize that this is not serving me anymore and what I'm doing um, isn't benefiting my life whatsoever. And I just started really living really simply in that moment. And um, that was a very defining moment for me. And I think that's when my journey of self-development and really looking into my thoughts and the power of my thoughts and how much they control my life and me being able to control my emotions, but I never thought I could. It's just like, oh, I feel sadness. I feel pain. That's just what I feel at the moment. Yeah. It's like, no, why do you feel that? Yeah. What's the narrative you're playing in your mind that's making you feel that? And uh, by delving into that and asking myself those questions, I started to change and that's when I started writing. Yeah. I mean, that moment I think you just described there, that rock bottom moment, that is something that I feel like we all can relate to in, in one way or another. There's and, and it may not have all led to that point in the same way as it did for you. But when you reflect back on that moment, what was it about, what was that realisation? Because obviously, yes, you get to that point where you hit that rock bottom, but how did you come to the realisation that you were actually viewing the world, your life, how you were living your life? How did you know that you were telling yourself these narratives, these negative narratives? How did you, how did you, get that awareness basically. God. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's uh, whether this energy is separate to us or whether it's part of us, that's something that I still till today cannot give you a definitive answer on mm. because something came over me and I remember even waking up at three or four in the morning after that event and being like, just write, you have to write this. And I was never a writer. And before I knew what I had over 200,000 words written and that was who says you can't, you do. So to, to know uh, why I feel like destiny is a big part of it. Um, but also I think always having that drive to succeed and, you know, like having that clothing business and starting it and always wanting something better, I think drove me to look deeper within myself. So I think if you have a little bit of awareness even, you will ask yourself those questions and it's that gut feeling. You know, it's knowing that this is not right. The way I'm living is not serving me. Mm. what I'm partaking in. And I think it's a, it's a snowball effect. It didn't just, I didn't just change you know, yeah. overnight and everything was great. That's not the way life works. Yeah. It was a process. And I think, um, yeah, that's uh, something that we all have to come to terms with is that we are not robots. You know, this is a process. There's pages to this. And I was willing to turn those pages and to learn and to grow. Yeah, I really like what you said there and it's interesting you pointed out the 3am thing because I have heard, of, I'm a writer too and so mm -hmm. the 3am thing, it, it's a thing, right? And it's it's this moment where you're almost, your conscious mind is so asleep that you don't have time to logically think things through. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you were saying that gut feeling, that intuitive sense called you to start writing and and whatever term of spirituality you want to refer to, everyone has a different frame of reference, but that's the thing that kind of propelled you into this, I guess, new path of life, right? Yeah, With your writing. Yeah. And this book that you talked about, 
who says you can't, you do. It was initially self-published, right, and then it was picked up by yeah. Penguin Random House and it's been an incredible success. So there's people that resonate yeah. with your story, right, and hearing you talk about it, I think it's it's so great that you're able to share that with everybody mm. because, like you were saying, you weren't yeah, able yeah. to express before, right? Yeah, and I think that that goes back to the answer that I just gave where everything's a process because mm. as I was writing the book, as I was going through this conscious awakening, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, um, I think a, an awakening is knowing the power that your thoughts have in creating your life and enlightenment is leading that life with love. That's how I define them. But as I was going through it, I was writing piece by piece. So it's actually my journey of my awakening. So it's like starts off really surfaced and then the questioning, the first chapters, and don't question me too much on it because it's been <laughs> a long time since I've read that book back to front. So, But the first part I know is a questioning um, and we delve into really deep questions because that's what I did. Mm. So the book is my journey. So I think it's taking people from the surface and taking them deeper. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why people were resonating with it so much rather than me going through all of this and then looking back and writing it. Yes. I was writing it as I was going through it. Yeah. So it's a journey. Yeah. It's a journey. And that's why I love writing so much because for me it's definitely been a, a tool of self-reflection and through the process of writing you can actually learn so much about yourself. You can notice how you feel in certain moments. You can learn your patterns of behaviour through different things that you're going through in your life. And almost as someone who's reading your own writing, you come at it as a, as a third person. So you can take yourself out of first person and become an objective audience, I guess, or viewer sure. to your life, right, sure. and to your thoughts, which yeah. is really powerful. Now, then, of course, you release The Modern Breakup, which in terms of dating, I feel like there's been, you know, so much conversation around modern dating at the moment. And definitely this is what I've heard from all my girlfriends over the years, hearing all their stories. So what is your take on dating and dating culture right now? It's messy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very messy. Um, I don't think there's ever one way of looking at it. But I think we all are looking for perfection. Mm. We all want perfection, even subconsciously. And I think that's got a lot to do with social media. Um, and we've all got this perception that the grass is greener on the other side. And I think that's our biggest downfall. Mm. Where I feel like in our parents' and grandparents' generation, they like someone and they went with it. Now we've got baggage of dating five people last week, yeah. you know, and we've got all those things and, and insecurities. And so I think there is hope, uh, but I think the work needs to be done within and you have to have clarity of what you want. Mm. I always say that. So people have this massive list of what they want, right? So they write it down. I want this. I need this in somebody. And then the next question comes, what are you willing to be? You know what you want and you've got all this, these, this massive list of, the, the, the perfect person that you want to be with, but what are you going to be to them? And that's, uh, I think, the most important thing. Yeah. I think we have to understand what a relationship is. What is a relationship? What does it mean? Mm. Are you willing to uh, devote yourself to that? Yeah. Because that's not easy. Yeah. How would you define a relationship? Because I think that's an important point too. I, I wonder whether in today's culture we've forgotten what 
a relationship actually is because, you you know, you have terms like situation. I mean, that in yeah, itself yeah, yeah. already is, is like, well, that's not really a relationship, is it then? Of course. Yeah, of course. so what does it mean to you? A relationship to me is a union to bring out the best in one another. That's what it is. Mm. If it's anything, it's like you're, you're joining forces as two people to get to a certain goal, to achieve something. If you don't have direction, if you guys aren't going in the same direction, there is no point. Mm. And I think that's where things get really mixed up. It's like, oh, I really like this person. I'm having fun with them. But where's the direction? What are you, what are you aiming towards? What do you want? Yeah. Do you want kids? Are you happy having this much in your bank account? Are you, you know, these questions need to be asked rather than, oh, I really like this person at this moment. And then three weeks later, I get over them. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you can have fun. You can really like someone. You can even love someone. You know, that word, it gets thrown around a lot. But where's the direction in your life? Where do you want to go and where do they want to go? And if that doesn't align, then I think there's no point and you've got to redefine what you think a relationship is. And what a relationship is to me is very different to what it is to other people. And I think that's where in the year 2024, we're going to see that more. Where as our parents and grandparents era, a relationship, if you look at your aunties and uncles and mum and, you know, like all those, the older generations, they, it's pretty similar what their relationship was. They got together, they had kids, but they also weren't taught the freedoms that we're taught. Mm. They didn't travel probably as much as we travel. They didn't want to achieve individually how much we want to achieve. So I think in today's society, it's more than ever, what is a relationship to you? rather than what is a relationship because it can't be boxed in anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, as individualistic as we all are, so are relationships now. So. Yeah, I really like that. And I think it's important, like you said, to ask ourselves that question, what does a relationship mean to you and define it for yourself? Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you then in a way it's that already ticks off something in saying that you need to find someone who sees a relationship in the same way you do and wants the same thing from it, right? Yeah. Now there's this word uh, toxic that gets thrown around as well, toxic relationships. It's, it's uh, I don't personally particularly like the word toxic, but it pretty much sums up the dynamic of a lot of relationships that we hear about. So from your perspective, can you explain what a toxic relationship is and what does that dynamic look like? Sit up for that. It's <laughs> <laughs> some serious yeah, stuff yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> um, toxic to me is someone who is not bringing out the best in you mm -hmm. and you're not bringing out the best in them. That's what it is to me. It's like you can define the word toxic by the way a situation is making you feel. But in saying that, what is your part to play in that? There's obviously many things like there's physical abuse. That's toxic. That's not on. So toxic is, is multiple different things. Um, but I think if we look at when, when people are like, oh, they're being really toxic, it's, I think it's thrown around too much to a degree where it's like, well, how are you treating that person? How is that person treating you? And if it doesn't align, leave. Yeah. You don't have to stay in something that is toxic. So I define toxic as something that's not bringing out the best in you and you're not bringing out the best in them. And I think I'm a, I'm a big believer in you fight for relationships, especially if you're married and you have kids. Um, you do everything you possibly can to make that work, everything, uh, because that's the union that you made and that's the promise that you made to that person. However, if it gets to the point where it's unbearable, then 
to me, that's what toxicity is. It's you not feeling great about your life while you're with this person. They're not going in the same direction as you. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And not it, it just doesn't bring out the best. You don't bring out the best in each other and that's right. you're not moving in the same direction. Yeah. And it's not about, I think it's not really, we're always so quick to put the blame on people and I think it's very important to understand people's faults so you know how to deal with them, especially, you know, you're dealing with narcissists. That word also gets thrown around a lot. But when you are dealing with a real one who kicks a dog while they're down and he's constantly belittling you and nitpicking and just trying to make you feel bad about yourself. Um, but, you know, there's situations where we are blaming everybody and it's like it, you don't need to be in it. And this blame that we have, it's... It doesn't, it doesn't serve anything. It doesn't go anywhere. You can sit there and blame someone for six months while you're still with them, but what are you still doing with them? It doesn't really matter. Your energy is just not sinking. When you look at energy, it doesn't matter who's to blame, what's going on, it's not working. The energy is just not sinking. My mummy said to me, it's like putting a, a, um, a circle into a triangular shape. It just, you're not fitting. So, and I think that's, um, that's the most important thing. Yeah, I really love what you said there about taking responsibility and not always putting the blame. Obviously, like you said, you have to be aware of those traits mm. in somebody else. But then, you know, a relationship is two people. And so if the part that you can control is you, you've got to take control and responsibility for the thing that what you're bringing to the relationship. And so why do you think it's so hard for people to leave, even if they can see these traits in somebody else that they're dating or they're in a relationship with because you hear this so often where yes it might be described as a toxic relationship or whatever it is but still the person they remain together so why do you think it's so hard for people to actually do that and leave and walk away um they've forgotten to love themselves mm. they've forgotten that they're important and i think that's the road back is always back to self, to self-love. Because if you're constantly putting up um, with people's toxicity and you're accepting that, then that's a reflection of you. And whether, that, whether you're not doing anything wrong in the situation, you're doing wrong by yourself by staying in it. Because the moment you stop and you move towards self-love, you can pave a different path Whereas you constantly sitting there and blaming that other person and focusing on their faults, they become yours. That person's issues are now becoming your issues. Their faults are becoming your faults because you become a reflection of them and your mind is completely consuming them. So why do we do it? Because over time we've lost ourselves. We've become insecure. We've forgotten that we're important. We've forgotten that life is, is great. The fact that you're alive, you made it. You made it to life. You made it here. That's the first step. Mm. So I think we, we really need to get back to um, who we are as people, what we have to offer and what we deserve. Yeah. And I think that's when we realise that, hey, I don't, I don't have to put up with this anymore. I'm worth more than this. Yeah. I think that's so important and I feel like so many people listening will have found themselves in a moment where or a relationship where they have accepted behaviour or traits in another person where they know 
that is less than what they deserve. So what are your suggestions for someone who might be going through something like that to actually come back to a place of remembering who they are and feeling that self-worth and self-love again? Because it is one thing to think about it in theory and I know mm, that we mm, all mm, hear about sure. it, but to do it in practice is a completely different thing. So what are your yeah. suggestions about that? Um, you need space. You need space, especially if you're in a situationship like you said before or, you know, you're getting really attached to someone or you're becoming obsessed with them. It's, it's never about how good they are. It's always about how bad your relationship has gotten with yourself. And I think that when you're in the vicinity of this person, this energy, it's already stagnant. The energy's stagnant and I believe that when you're constantly on repetition, you're walking the same sta stairs every day, driving the same car. There's little changes but that energy is going to get stagnant. I think that piles up, especially with all the sensory input that we have in today's society, social media, et cetera. So I think you need distance and space from the situation. It's like looking at your hand, and I use that analogy. When you're looking at it like this, you can't see it clearly, but when you move your hand away, you can see it very clearly. Mm. You're looking at it like this, and that is never going to solve anything because you're just going around in a circle. So my advice is always, because it's always worked for me, even though it's really hard because we want to play the victim and we want to stay in that space because it almost feels comfortable. It's like being comfortable in the uncomfortable zone. But we need to pull ourselves out and have space so we can see the whole situation clearly. And then uh, you can make an informed decision yeah. A little bit better. Yeah. I really like that is is like you're saying with the hand, it's it's like you're in it. When you're in it, you can't see it properly. That's right. When you step back and have a look at it in a bigger picture perspective, I suppose. You can you can see all the mm -hmm. parts and and writing again I think will help as well. We can reflect on Oh, for sure. You know, what sure. what you've been doing in the relationship. Now, what kind of ties into this is setting boundaries and I think this is one of those things that and, and also setting standards, right, for yourself. It links in with self-love and self-worth. And again, I think it's easier to talk about it in theory and it's more difficult to actually practice and set those boundaries and actively uh, enforce them with people. So mm. how do you set boundaries for yourself in the context of a relationship? Well, it's funny you say that because uh, I've, I did it last year and it wasn't even a relationship or so, but relationships mm. with family and friends. So I think this is relative as well. Um, when I was working during the day, I would be doing interviews or whatever, and I'd be getting phone calls and, you know, just being, you know, when you want to focus on something and you really need to be in that space and just constantly getting uh, bombarded from people and it's because they love you probably, but um, I had to put my phone on Do Not Disturb and that was hard for people to really understand even people today, they stop calling me because they're like, I'm not calling you anymore because I can never get through. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but from this time to that time, my phone's on do not disturb. You got to create that and that's for you. You have to think about and the way we do that and the way we set boundaries is what is going to serve me? I have to, we all have to look out for each other. We can't be completely ignorant to other people's feelings and other people's needs. I know that sometimes they need to call me. That person might need to call you. That person might need to speak to you and you want to be there for your friends, for your boyfriend, for your girlfriend, whatever it may be. However, is it getting to a point where what I want to do in my life is being completely sidetracked by other people's 
issues or problems or attachments or insecurities. And then I think you discuss it with that person. You always have open dialogue. I'm, I'm a big believer in communication. Don't be scared to communicate. And if that is not reciprocated, communicate again, mm. <laughs> as I've done in the past. If it's still not respected, then you have to take a more drastic decision and say, I'm not doing anything intentionally to hurt you. You know we don't have to speak X amount of times. You know that the way you're treating me is not right. So now I've had this discussion with you. Nothing's changed. Now I'm going to have to do this. So I think communicate and then uh, you just have to set those hard boundaries. There is no real way. You just have to do it and you navigate through that afterwards. You see what works, what doesn't work, what serves you, what doesn't serve you. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, I really like that process and and I agree. It's not just obviously romantic relationships. Like you said, sometimes family and friends can be the hardest to set because there's almost this... Guilt. Guilt, yes, especially Mm. from the parents. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know, I know. That you have to almost, you know like you said, communicate, that it's not personal. Mm. Uh, and I think that's important. I really I really um, agree with you on that, that, that you need to communicate really well around those boundaries. Now, another thing that I have definitely heard a lot is this idea of closure. And you've spoken about this as well. And it's, I guess, more relevant with relationships that perhaps you wanted to work out, but the other person didn't for whatever reason. And there's almost a sense of like you're hanging, you left hanging without an explanation as to why the relationship mm. ended. And so I'm interested to know what your take is on this and can you speak a little bit more about closure? Yeah, I don't think closure ever really comes from the other person. Mm. And I think even if it did, even if someone sat there and said to you, this is why I'm leaving you, you'll be like, no, but two days ago they said they love me and you would always find an excuse because you don't want to hear it, you don't want to face the truth. I think closure comes it really comes from knowing who that person really is and accepting that rather than who they made out they were. Mm. And it also comes from knowing that if that person was right for you, they would still be there. That's the end of the story. Yeah. If they were, if they were meant to be there, they would be there. If they left, they're not loyal to the end. Why would you want to be with someone who's not loyal to the end regardless? Yeah. Yeah. You're willing to be and they're not willing to be and they may never willing to be with anybody. Don't take it so personally. And what someone else wants for their life has really got nothing to do with you. They've got their own past. They've got their own history. They've got their own experiences that they've interpreted in their own ways and now they're doing, they're living their life and, and um, creating actions that have got to do with their experiences that you may never understand There's things that they may never tell you. Human beings are very complex beings. We are, um, we have so many layers and to try and work that out and to try and, yeah, that's what we do, right? When someone is screwing us around or whatever, we try to work them out. Why did they say that? Why are they thinking that? Why did they do that? You'll never be able to do that. You're just going to drive yourself crazy. And that's also a process and it's completely fine. It's okay to do that. It is part of the process, but there needs to come to a point where you accept that the closure is knowing that if they were meant to be there, they would still be there. Yeah. And they're not right for you. They're not the one for you. That's it. 
Why do you think it's so hard for people to accept the truth? Because like you just said there, I do think that a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure out why did they do this? They said this and they did this and it didn't match up and then, but they said this this time. But there is an element I feel that people know, you know deep down, but there's an element of not being willing to really face it and accept the truth. Why do you think it's so hard for people to do that? No one likes rejection. Mm. No one likes to feel rejection. Yeah. But if we can understand what this rejection is, then we can deal with it a lot better. But rejection from someone else isn't so much that. Like, you know, and if you've been in a situation where someone's left you and then later on, and it's okay that it's surfaced, but you'll call your friends and be like, I can't believe he's with that girl. What's he doing with that girl and not with me? You know, and guys do it too. It's like, what, what's, he, what's she doing with that, that bloody bum, you know? <laughs> like as if she's going with that guy. But it's like... This is, what, like I said, what people want for their life has got nothing to do with you. Yeah, you could be prettier than the other person. You could be more successful than the other person. It doesn't matter. That's what they need at that time of their life. That's the energy that suits them. And what's coming for you, what God has for you is going to be greater. Just allow that space. Allow it. Yeah. You know, stop knocking on that closed door. It's gone. It's closed. Yeah. Something great is coming. I promise you, it's happened to me my whole life. Whenever, whenever I felt like that was the best I was ever going to get with my career, with a person, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, has quickly shown me, actually not always quickly, but has shown <laughs> me in time. <laughs> I won't go to that one. That's, there's, there's been a process a few times. Yeah. But has always shown me in time that it had something greater for me. So I always have that hope, always have that faith, that mm. uh, even a little bit. Believe even when you don't believe and, and it'll, it'll, it'll present itself. Yeah, and I feel like when you hearing you talk, it sounds like you have such faith in the unknown, in, in whatever you want to call it, you can call it a higher power, whatever your terminology is for spirituality, in a, a higher power, purpose, universe, God, that has something better for you and being able to detach yourself from the outcome of what that is going to be because you don't know, right? Mm. So how can people do that? Because that in itself, again, another thing great in theory, but practically how do you detach yourself from the outcome that you think that you want, that you think that life should go in this direction, but almost letting go of that control to the universe, high power? Mm. And having that faith. Yeah, I think there's a few ways. One of them is look at your past. Look at your past whenever you thought you were never going to get out of a situation and you got out of it. Mm. The times when you, we forget. We've got very short memories, human beings. Yeah. We're always like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And it's like, you said that two years ago and you said that two months ago, <laughs> but you're out of it. And there's going to be a day that you're going to smile again. Just like you smiled two months ago when you didn't think you would three years ago. It's going to happen. So I think you have to be practical with yourself. You have to uh, be intelligent. Use your intelligence a little bit. Don't just forget everything that's happened. But also, I don't want to fool anybody to think that I don't go through a process because I don't just go through something and say, oh, everything's going to be better. No way. I, I'm someone who feels everything. I think a, an artist, a writer, whatever you... I think people in general 
but I know artists specifically as well because I think that's how we create. We have to go through everything to really feel it. And um, I don't shy away from everything, from anything. People, you know, when you go through something, they're like, oh, you got to get back to the gym tomorrow. You have, and friends will always give you that, that advice or family members because they're not in it. When they're in it, it's a very different story, you know. Yeah. But when you're in it and they're telling you from the outside and that's what you would say to them, you just got to get back into it. Obviously, they don't have any emotional attachment to the situation. But I'm someone who's like, no, I'm not ready to go back to the gym tomorrow. I don't want to go for the next month. I'll go when I feel like going. I'll know when it's time that this has played out it's due course and I've learned what I've had to learn mm. and now I'm ready. So I think the most important thing is rather than how to try to get to that place quickly is allow yourself the space to go through it. It's like when you try not to think of something, you think about it more. Let it come. I see Djokovic and the tennis players now, Australian Open's on, and you see the players, a lot of them that release it and let it out, they actually end up winning the game. It's like you think, oh, they don't have any mental strength because they should be the ones that are just being able to just get on with it quicker. But they don't. It almost looks like they're going to crumble and they're going to fall apart because they're just letting it all out and then they find their way. Mm. So I think that's really important. Even uh, it's a life lesson that yeah. we should go through everything, cry if you want to cry, be on the floor if you want to be on the floor, you know, just go through whatever you want to go through and the, light, the light's going to come through. It's going to crack through. Mm. Just be patient. Be be a bit patient with everything. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you you describe that process so beautifully there and I feel that definitely in our culture and society talking about emotions is probably not something that is it's a, a lot more common now, more mainstream that men have always found it difficult to to feel their feelings, understand what their feelings are and process their emotions. So what are, I guess, do you have certain things that you do to process them or you just let them come when they're, they're coming up? I think it happens naturally for me. Um, I've, that's maybe my gift to write. I don't know if I've got any gift it's, it, and it's to write. That's what it is. I dissect my experiences in a million pieces and I see them as words. So when something happens to me, I see it from every single angle and that's not easy as well because I'm seeing it from their perspective, that person's perspective, how's that? I'm seeing it all and I'm writing because of it. So I think that there is no real way. I think it's just your way to go through it, to dissect it the way you want to dissect it. And I think writing is a very beautiful thing as well because like you said before, it's, it's a very therapeutic. Yeah. And even if you're not a writer, it doesn't matter. Just write what you think, write what your thoughts are, write what your feelings, what you're feeling at the moment. Um, so I think that's a great process as well. But I think the process in general is going to change for everybody. People are Some people are really analytical, more analytical than others. I've got friends who don't really analyse things on a deeper level. Um, sometimes I wish I was like them. <laughs> <laughs> Can't I just be like you for a moment? Why do I have to analyse everything so deeply? Yeah. But it's a beautiful thing, right? It is a beautiful thing because you learn so much about yourself and uh, take it as... Take it as all learning about yourself. And I think the more you analyse, it's okay because uh, you're going to be stronger and better because of it. Yeah. Don't hate the process. Don't hate the process. Don't hate the process. 
I've definitely had that thought before where you're just like, I wish that I just didn't think about things. I wish I was less aware of things. I wish yeah, I could yeah. just live life quite blissfully ignorant of things. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's pain in that. Yes, there's there so is. much pain. Of in course, that. there's pain in that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's, there's pain in both. But but the benefits I think of being of being self reflective and self aware far outweigh the negatives. Yeah, yin and yang. Yin yeah, and exactly. Yang, huh? Now another thing I've heard you say before is talking around peace and contentment and happiness and how there's a difference between peace and contentment and happiness. So can you explain to everyone what you mean by that? Yeah, I think happiness is momentary. It's like sadness, it's like pain, it's like, you know, uh, joy. I think we try to hold on to this concept of happiness and that's what's making us unhappy. How ironic. How ironic, Mm. right? Because uh, life is not just one emotion. Life is all emotions and all emotions have equal importance in your life. So if you're only, if you're putting this happiness on a pedestal, you're going to be very disappointed and you're going to get knocked off that pedestal many times because life is not just meant to be happy. And we, I'm someone who plays around with words. I'm a writer. Words are finite. There's, they have a start and an ending. Emotion isn't. We can try and describe what we're feeling by using words, but we never really will. So I don't look at them as negative or positive. I look at them as this is what I'm feeling now. What is it trying to teach me? It's like fear. Fear can save your life yeah. sometimes. Fear can actually destroy you. But it's still the same word, right? Yeah. So which one is it? It's the feeling is more than anything. We're just defining it by a word. So rather than using these words and trying to hold on to this um, surfaced feeling of happiness and what is happiness? Is it, you know, being bubbly and energetic and bouncing around or is it sitting at home with a cup of tea and watching a movie on your own? Yeah. You know, so I think... Just accept all emotions as a part of life and understand that they all have equal importance and they all make life beautiful. Yeah, I really like that. When I look back, I look back at, you know, the times that I've hurt as well and I look back and think that's really beautiful because I felt in that moment Mm. and that's just as important and I remember those moments sometimes more and because I know I got through it, that's more than when I was out partying and having fun and being happy. Yeah. Some of those times I don't want to even remember. Yeah. So. Mm. No, I really like that. And it's acceptance of all the gamut of emotions that we experience as humans, right? And that is the human experience. Exactly. going to experience positive. Well, you don't even have to label it as positive and negative. Like you said, just, just observe them. It just is. Yeah. It just is what you're feeling. Mm. And it's okay. Focus on the feeling. Don't focus on the words of what it's meant to be. Like I'm feeling this sadness right now, so it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's trying to teach you something. If you just listen to it, it might be trying to save you from something catastrophic, you know. I think that's important too is that questioning of asking yourself what is it trying to teach me. Yeah, and and that might come in time, right? Yeah. That might come in time. And the answer might not come straight away, but as long as you're devoted and committed to finding an answer through it rather than just shutting it off and saying this is bad, trying to overpower it with positive thoughts. I've got to think positive now. And I've done that in the past. I've got to think positive now. I've got to think positive. No, this outcome is going to happen. This outcome is going to happen. And that's great to do, but it's like it's not happening. And if I had just sat there and focused on why isn't it happening 
and what can I do to make it happen, then I get an answer mm. rather than just trying to block it out and put a positive thought in there. Yeah. That really has me doing nothing because we need to take action in our own life. We need to know what we want. We need to know where we're going and we need to act accordingly. And by us just trying to put a positive outcome in our thought every single moment and shut off all these other emotions that are really trying to teach us something, um, I think that's where the ignorance comes in as well. Mm. It's missing some key information that that we could be yeah, taking. Yeah, you're probably going around a circle. Mm. You're probably going to experience the same thing again and you're going to say, why have I experienced this again? Yeah. And I'm someone who sometimes has made the, have made the same mistakes 10 years in a row. I keep repeating the same mistakes. Like I should have known, I could have known. Mm. Why, didn't, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I change this? Why didn't I start doing videos 10 years ago? Yeah. You know, when I started six months ago, why did I keep going back to those same kinds of people? Why do I keep engaging in that stuff when it's not serving me and it's not serving my fitness or my health? Why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. And eventually you learn. It's a process. You get to the point where you learn. But I think we need to ask, those, ask ourselves those questions rather than trying to block all this out and get on with it and just get on with it. Yeah, yeah. What, how is it making you feel? If the regret of what you're doing outweighs the enjoyment of when you're doing it, it's time to turn the page and you got to really look deeply into that. Why am I regretting this more than the enjoyment I did? Because we can enjoy things for a long time and it serves us, right? We're going out. Like I stopped drinking a year and a half ago. Before that I was enjoying it but it started and I wasn't, wouldn't say I was a big drinker but it started to not make me feel good. I'd wake up in the morning, feel fuzzy, had stuff on and my body was breaking down from it. I was starting to get sick more often and then I let it go. I would regret it. I would constantly be regretting it. Where I never used to do that when I was in my 20s. Yeah. I used to go out and, you know, go eat with the boys the next day and whatever and that was okay. It got to the point where the regret was greater than the enjoyment I had when I was doing it. So it was time to change. Mm, I really like that. It's a... It's a Powerful moment of understanding that it might be time to change some things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Now, I've got the final three questions for you, Daniel. All right. So what drives you? Love. Love for my family. Love for people. Not always. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I don't love people, certain people, but that's okay. I still, And when I come to think of in the end, I still love them Mm. because they made me who I am regardless Um, so yeah, I would say my biggest drive is love. Whenever I'm feeling down, whenever I feel like I can't go on anymore, I, I let light in, uh, I try to fill my heart with love and I try to come from that space and move forward in that space. Mm. That's my biggest drive. Love that. It's really nice. If you knew what you know now, how would you have lived your life differently? I wouldn't. No regrets. No regrets. There's many things I could sit here and say that I wish I had have done differently, but I didn't really know. I know now and I only know now because I went through all those experiences. And so why would I change it? Yeah. I like, I like the pace at which I'm learning and that's okay. I'm allowing myself time now. I never used to. I'm allowing myself time now. 
I'm a work in progress. <laughs> I like that. I'm a work in progress and that's okay. Yeah, that's really nice. There's a, that acceptance piece as well of, of being okay with the pace at which you're learning and I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's something that, that we all probably need to work on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now my final question for you is what is the biggest lesson you have learnt in your life so far? Sometimes when I want something, it's not always the right time. It's not always good to get what you want when you think you want it. It'll come when you're ready and when you've learnt what you've had to learn. That's so nice. How did you learn that? By realising that I was being a spoiled brat (laughs) to the universe and wanting what I want now and it not happening and then realising that when it did happen, looking back and saying, well, if I had got it when I was being that little spoiled brat to God and to the universe, I would never have learnt what I've learnt now. I never would have evolved and grown and I probably would have stuffed it up. Mm. It's such a good way to look at things, I think. Yeah, amazing. Well, I have loved this chat so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. And you've got some amazing books, obviously. Where can people find all your amazing work and what you do and all the content that you're putting out and things? Uh, my Instagram, at Daniel Chidiak and Amazon. That's where the books are. Yeah. That's probably the best place. Yeah, perfect. So we'll pop all of those links up in the show notes. So make sure you check it out, guys. Tell us what you loved and learnt from this episode by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Screenshot this episode, tag us and share it to your socials. Thank you again, Daniel, for joining me on the show. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rachel J Podcast. 